בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, always good to be in Miami, ברוך השם. To start off, we'll do the רפואה שלמה, בעזרת השם. And then we'll uh, continue with, I believe, number 56 in the series, the Musar series. So, בעזרת השם, this will be רפואה שלמה to מיצ'ל קוטו, אמפרו בולופה, ראובן יוסף בן ריבקה, שרה לאה בת שרה, ולאדיס נוניאס, אדין מגוררו, ג'וספינה מטוס, רייצ'ל אנד מונטי סנדלר, לוארדס רנסולי, יהושע מיכאל בן הדסה, ננסי דווסה, פטרישה ולמנה, מיצ'ל ולמנה, סוניה סוארז, ניקול ולמנה, אוגוסטין הרננדס, חורכה הרננדס, איזבל בטנקורט, ליאנה אנטבוניה, גיברטו מנסס, ג'קליני רוחס, רג'ר פרדו, ידיה גרסיה, פבלו לורנזו, מרים בצרה, רב אילון בן ענת, מרים, ג'וסלין מורז'ון, עדה ואסקווז, עינית ואסקווז, סונצ'ה ואסקווז, קנטבאב רזניק, סאר גוטרז, דייגו הרננדס, ליליאן הריז, ג'קלין רוחס, דליה רומרו, לינסי מיסטרס, פטרישה ולמנה, אמילי ולמנה, לבנה בת שרה, שרה בת מרים, אלפיים בן שולמית, דוריס בת ג'ורה, דוד בן עצריה, ואולו בעם ישראל And all of the lovers of Hashem Barach, may they have refuah shlema, refuah tanefesh, refuah taguf. You know, if we can actually get all of these people to actually come to the shiur, I think it would be help even better. Be'ezot Hashem. So, Be'ezot Hashem, we had a shiur uh, last night, we also had a shiur two nights ago. Um, both Baruch Hashem got some people uh, thinking, which is really the goal of every shiur. It's to get Am Yisrael thinking, to get people that are looking for the truth thinking. Um, unfortunately, one of the um, terrible parts of this job is that you have an overwhelming amount of bad news you have to deal with. Because usually when good things happen, you know, people celebrate with their family, people uh, enjoy their time. But uh, when bad things happen, we call God. And since uh, God has messengers, we call the rabbis. So one of the things that's very difficult, not just for me, but for any rabbi, uh, and I probably mean most likely any other spiritual leader in general, even if they're doing it the wrong way, is to deal with the bad news, an overwhelming amount of bad news. And unfortunately now, It seems like it's a, uh, usually there's like a, a balance of bad news and good news. It seems like in the last uh, week or two, it's been an overwhelming amount of bad news. Shem uh, Echem, divorces, children dying, uh, children dying, children being born with sicknesses, people's family members having all types of major issues, partnerships breaking up, business partnerships, families partnerships, and... Uh, Monday was a, uh, I, um, the night before, I saw that a friend of mine, 
uh, posted on his page something that really got my heart shaking because it started, he reminded me that there's no such thing as being finished with tshuva. Why? Because if we understood what tshuva is, our perspective at life would be very different. We see things as they look to us, meaning from each person has their own perspective. So if you ask a little boy, how big is a star? You look at a star. How big is a star? And he tells you it's the size of a penny. How big is the sun? It's the size of a quarter. It's a kid, a little kid, five, six-year-old kid. You tell him how big is the sun? He tells you it's the size of a quarter. But anyone knows that if you look through the telescope, the star and the sun are many, many times bigger than the earth we live in. So why does a little boy think that it's so small? Simply because he's so far from the truth. He's so far from the sun. He's so far from the sky. He's so far from where the truth really is that he has no concept of how dear it is and how great it is. This is the same thing as us when it comes to our sins. We think that when we make a sin, we make a mistake, we do it on purpose, we take a uh, phone and throw it across the room because we got upset at something, we yell at our wife, we curse at our husbands, we insult our kids, and so on and so forth. We think, ah, well, okay, I messed up, I'm sorry, okay, shalom aleichem, finished, right? I'm sorry, you're sorry, everybody's sorry, go, go on with your business, enough. If you don't say sorry, you don't even have uh, common etiquette, but if you say sorry, you feel like, I said I'm sorry, I'm finished. And the reason why we think it's so simple is because we view our sins even smaller than the little boy views the sun. Simply because we're so far away from the truth. So far away from the truth. The same concept goes with our tshuva. People believe that doing tshuva, the beginning is difficult to get yourself to keep Shabbat, to get yourself to keep kosher, to get yourself to dress a certain way with modesty. But once you start, finished. I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher, I keep family purity, I'm finished, I'm done. But what if I told you that the Gemara says in Masechet Chagiga that if you didn't think about today, every day, not just today, yesterday, the next day, the day after, and every day, of how to find a way to sanctify Hashem's, Hashem's name. Not once in your life. Today, tomorrow, the next day. It's a part of your day-to-day job. If you didn't find a way to sanctify Hashem Itbarach's name, in essence, show the world He's the King. You didn't think of it. Not you didn't achieve it. You didn't think of a way. You didn't even try. The Gemara says it was better off you didn't come to the world. Forget you didn't do tshuva. It was better off you didn't come to the world, Bechlau. That's how bad it is. For us, this is, when I first read this in the Gemara, I'm like, this is, uh, this is farther than the sun. 
This might as well be a different planet, a different uh, universe. But the truth is, is that the closer you get to Hashem, the bigger the star looks like. The bigger you see, oh, you know what? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. So what's the difference between today, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and so on? Is that the closer you get to Hashem, the more shades or curtains, if you will, the Rambam calls it curtains, that you remove, that are separating you from Hashem Yitbarach and His truth and your warped version of reality. Our reality is false. Because simply said, most of our desires, or really all of our desires, unless we really worked on ourselves a lot, all of our desires are the opposite of good. What do we people want every day? First thing you pray for in, in, in the morning. First thing you pray for as a normal person. I'm not talking about as a holy person. I'm not talking about Moshe Rabbeinu, what Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for. I'm talking about a normal person, what they pray for. Hashem, give me money. First thing they pray for, Hashem, give me money. You don't even say, Hashem, thank you for giving me life. You don't say, Hashem, thank you for giving me eyes and ears and legs. Don't say that. Say, Hashem, give me money. Make sure today I sign the deal so I can get, I go on vacation. And not just the little money. Not just like the for the day money. Millions. Today make me win the lotto. I don't even want to go to work. Today. Today. Today I want to be rich. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's already too late. I have a student, God bless him. He's like, listen, in three months from now, I'm going to have a mansion. I said, yeah, you also have to have a job first to have the mansion. The job he doesn't have. But the mansion, he says, Hashem is going to give me a mansion in three months from now. Oh, okay. So, so today, today is the wisdom. So the thing is, though, is that people expect Hashem to give him the world. But the reality of it is that what we're asking for, forget about that our expectations are... Anything that we really get from Hashem is a gift. We don't deserve anything. But He gives us gifts because He loves us. But at the same token, the gifts we ask for are not always the gifts He gives us. Most of the gifts we ask for are not good for us. It's like your son says, Abba, Ima, give me a little bit of poison on the third shelf. Give me a little poison. I want to put it on my uh, schnitzel. Give me a little poison. I want to put it on my steak and a little bit of my, my iced tea. What are you going to say to him? This is what we ask for. We ask for poison every day. But we think it's not poison. We think it's the Samachayim. We think it's the uh, potion to life. Give me money. Give me women. Give me this. Give me cars. Give me uh, fame. Give me, give me all these different things that are in essence not for our best interest. reason we're very very far away from the truth just like the little boy is and even more than the little boy is but what I saw on Sunday is that Baruch Hashem there's hope because the more you learn Torah the closer you get to the truth and my dear friend surprised me not because I'm a good judge of character or anything but just simply because I know I wouldn't be able to do it he went to a very difficult time, to say the least. Four years ago, his mother died. Six months ago, his oldest brother and best friend. His oldest brother was his best friend. They were very, very close. 
Six months ago, he died. And a few days ago, his father died. Now, if it was me, and my dog died, I don't think I'll be survived. When my dog died, I actually was able to do a lecture. You know, so dog, yeah. But family member, friend, somebody, human being, destroyed. What does my dear friend do? He writes, we have another loss. He tells people what happened, as far as that there's another loss in the family. Hashem, I know this is good for me, and that's why I love you. This is what he writes. Hashem, I know this is good for me. Despite the pain that I'm dealing with, that's unbearable, but that's why I love you. Shiftecha umishantecha emayinachamoni. David Melech, David Melech, David Melech, Kodesh Kodeshim. David Melech sanctified Hashem's name every moment. He said, Your rod, your rod, and your staff, they give me comfort. And at the beginning of that Tehillim, he says, Hashem, you're my shepherd. It's a very famous Tehillim, Psalm 23. Very famous Tehillim, but most people have no idea what it means. I saw it today. I saw something unbelievable. David Melech says, Hashem, you are my shepherd. Which means, he says, I'm the sheep. Nothing. I'm a little sheep. Now I know that even if I go to the valley of the shadow and death, if I go to nightmare, mother dies, brother dies, father dies, Shem Achem, disaster after disaster, David Melech, David Melech, is saying, this rod, when you hit me, it gives me comfort. Because I know it's really the shaft. The rod that's hitting me, the pain, the anguish, the suffering, I know that really is just trying to direct me in the right direction. Because I'm a sheep and I don't know where to go. Because I'm confused whether it's the sun or it's a reflection. I'm confused whether it's a quarter or it's a planet. I'm confused whether it's a sin or it's a mitzvah. I'm confused whether it's from Hashem or the Satan. I'm confused. I don't know. I don't know. So I know when there's a pain, I know it's from you. And it gives me comfort when I have pain, he says. Why? I know it's from you. I know you're not going to do anything against me for no reason. There has to be a reason. There has to be a reason. Very few people, in my opinion, from the, no one that I've met other than him and maybe a handful of other people not just understood that Tehillim but could say it to say I love you Hashem after you just lost your father Psst. gives me hope that maybe one day we can reach such a level not to have those Tikkunim Chas V'Shalom think such a thing like that but instead what do we focus on we focus on Hashem give me money now, if you had $25 million in a bank, but your best friend died, how much is that money worth? Hashem, give me five houses. You can only live in one house, but give me five houses. But the brother died. Are you still going to enjoy those big houses? 
Hashem give me fame and fortune. But you're depressed because you feel empty. The fame and fortune any good to you? It's the opposite. It becomes poison. The last thing you want is people looking at you like you're an insect under a microscope. But some people are able to understand, at least to some extent, what David Melech was talking about 2,500 years ago. Now, in this Mishnah, we're starting a new perik, a new chapter, chapter 4. And Bezat Hashem will connect it to what we just talked about. And any questions you guys want to come up with now, and um, also to the parasha, and try to see how Hashem blesses us with some insights of how we can actually improve ourselves to maybe, maybe, just maybe one day, maybe one day, we can get to such a high level that we can thank Hashem appropriately. We're not even saying thanking Hashem for sins and for Him forgiving us for the sins. We're not even saying thanking Hashem for Him slapping us in the face because we deserve it for the sins we did. I'm not saying even that because actually the Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch, it actually says, chapter 222, you have to thank Hashem as much for the slaps in the face that you get as you do for the blessings. You have to thank Hashem for the punishment as much as you thanked Him for the blessing. Meaning, you won the lotto, you won 400 something million, like uh, Fidel said today, somebody's going to win 400 million. You have to thank Hashem just as much for the 400 million, but also just as much for the flat tire, for Hashem uh, punishing you in some way, someone dying, someone suffering, having sicknesses. Shuchan Aruch, the book of laws of the Torah, says it's a law. It says in the Gemara Masechet Brachot, you have to thank Hashem in the same level for your suffering and for the blessings. We don't even thank Him enough sometimes for the blessing. Suffering, thanking Him is so far. But Bezat Hashem today we're going to learn how. So give me some questions. Yeah, I have a question. It's just related to what was said. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I usually phrase it in, a, in the following ways. Is, uh, Hashem has a plan, right? That's good. And, uh, you, and we have, as, as far as I understand from previous shoes, that we have like a, what I call it, a, not a complete free choice. Because Hashem right. has a plan. So my question is, what is the significance of a sin? And in which way a sin help us? to uh, evolve to, to do Shuba. Because it's a plan with sin. Uh, if we sin, it's, it's, it's part of a plan. I don't know if I'm... Um, Perfect I, question. Okay, okay. That's it. That's my question. Great question. I, okay. I, I didn't know also... Next. Yeah, good question. So the question is, the significance of the sin and how is the sin part of the ultimate plan of Hashem Yitbarach? Good. good question. That's Hashem. I have the answer. Next. Okay, uh, so obviously there is no tribulation 
There's no suffering without sin. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, and if we suffer, if we analyze that things are going well and all that, we, we're close to him, we pray, you know, we do what we're supposed to do. But yet you feel with a sickness or something. So could you be... A, a continuous punishment for something that you have done in the past, or how long are you gonna suffer for? Well, Suffering time frame is what you said. Yeah, that's the question. Okay, so next question is, how long can we suffer for? Right. Okay. Next. Mo, well, go. Um, if we initially for, uh, forget to thank God for the pain. Mm-hmm. Simple answer is no, but uh, ultimate answer is if you're able to do it on a regular basis, eventually you're going to be able to do it on a, all the time. But simple answer is no, obviously, because if uh, it's like, for example, uh, if you buy your wife flowers for the anniversary, first thing in the morning, is it the same as you bought her flowers the next day? You bought her flowers? It's not the same. We'll elaborate more on it. More questions? Parashat Shavua? Anything? Rest of the Torah we know? Okay, so keep coming. Okay, so I wrote today. I thought I was expecting... I was writing down the questions. That was going to be... Give me, making it easy for me today. Be'ezat Hashem, we will try to answer the question. Hashem will give us the words to answer. Uh, again, also this week is Parasha, Parashat Re'eh. See, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing that you will hearken to the commandments of Hashem your God, that I command you today. So Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Am Yisrael, I give you the blessing and the curse is a package deal, which we talked about last night, so we'll expand on it. He says, the blessing you're going to get, if you follow what Hashem says, you get a blessing. Simple enough. Following verse says, and the curse, it's not or the curse, it's and the curse, meaning it's part of the same package. And the curse you get if you don't hearken to the commandments of Hashem, your God, and you stray away from the path that I command you today. And to follow uh, the gods of others that you didn't know, and so on and so forth. You do a bunch of things that are against Hashem, you won't get the blessing, you'll instead get the curse. So here already, we see that similar to what you said, where we are, our free choice is not so free. This is a literal verse in the Torah, one of many, where Moshe Rabbeinu, the one and only who spoke to Hashem face to face, the one who was closer to Hashem 
than anyone else in history, the one that Hashem called him Moses, my servant. Because Moses removed his own desires and replaced them with Hashem's desires. He had no desires of his own. If you're a millionaire and you want to get a servant, you want to get a butler, you want to get a uh, someone to work in your house, because even though technically slavery is frowned upon today, it's still very much real and it even exists in America, by the way. There are slaves in America, there are slaves all over the world, but today, since it's frowned upon, they hide them. But if you had a slave, and you told the slave, hey slave, make me a coffee, it's 3 a.m., but I want coffee. If the slave said, I'm tired, that's not an acceptable response. If the slave says, I'm busy, it's not an acceptable response. A slave doesn't have such an option. And Hashem himself said, Moses, he's my servant, he's my slave. Why? Because he himself decided to be that. He himself decided to perfect his midot, to perfect his character traits to such an extent that he removed, removed his own desires and he replaced them with my own. He replaced them with Hashem Barach's desires. That's why he's the only one that Hashem says, that's my servant. If we could be a servant for a half an hour to Hashem, that's already a big level. He did it for a lifetime. And this is not a mocking of us, it's just a reality. Because Moses didn't ask to win the $430 million lotto. He didn't even think about the lotto. It wasn't part of his calculations at all. He had no desire for the $430 million. What he had a desire for is to fulfill Hashem's will. So long as we have desires of our own, wishing for this, wishing for that, we have a wish list, we're not home yet. Doesn't mean that you can't have desires. You can have desires, but you haven't perfected yourself yet. So in this parasha, it starts off by telling us that so long as you're not Moshe Rabbeinu, which there never will be another Moshe Rabbeinu, even the Mashiach will not be like Moshe Rabbeinu, even the Mashiach will not be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. You should know that your free choice is not so free. It's a package deal, get reward, and there's punishment. This is one of the 13 principles of faith in the Torah that the Rambam put together. From the Torah, this is one of the many sources where it says that there's a bracha and a klala. There's a blessing and there's a curse. There's a good and there's bad. There's no such thing as Hashem loves you regardless of what you do. That's nonsense lies. That's either Christianity or fake levels of different parts of other religions or unfortunately some people that call themselves Jewish say this is also the case. This is 100% falsehood. You don't have to listen to me. Who am I, Bechlal? This is an outright literal verse in the Torah that tells you there's no such thing as just reward. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as you can do whatever you want and you're never going to have to pay the bill. So now, this is how we start this parasha. 
It's a little scary. And he goes into the details of different things that happens. Idolatry, false prophets, and so on and so forth. Now this particular Mishnah that we have here is going to give us a a little bit more details. Ben Zoma Omer, Ezehu Chacham, Alomed Mikol Adam, Shenemar Mikol Melamda Yiskalti, Ezehu Gibor, הכובש את יצרו שנאמר טוב ערך אפיים מגיבור ומושל ברוחו מלוחד עיר איזהו עשיר השמח בחלקו שנאמר יגיע כפיך כי תאכל אשריך וטוב לך אשריך בעולם הזה וטוב לך לעולם הבא איזהו מכובד המכבד את הבריות שנאמר כי מכבדי אכבד ובזי יקלו ובזי יקלו טרנסליישן בן זומה who was one of the biggest Tanaim that ever lived, and Chazal says he was called Ben Zoma instead of Rabbi Zoma, or Rab Zoma, or Rabbi Zoma, or Rabban Zoma. Why? Because he didn't get a smicha. He didn't get a smicha. But the Gemara, in Masechet Brachot, page 57b, says that Ben Zoma, if you looked up the dictionary of wisdom, you have his picture. Knowledge in Torah, say someone that's ultimate wisdom, Ben Zoma. And they said that when Ben Zoma died, there was no such thing as someone giving good lectures anymore. Meaning the greatest lecturer that ever lived in our generation, previous generation, next generation, you combine all of them, they said it wouldn't be equivalent to the first minute of his speech, to Ben Zoma. But he wasn't a rabbi. As far as smicha, as far as Torah, he had more knowledge than apparently most people in all of history. And it says he's one of the few that um, uh, was at the level of having the smicha, just was not, died too early. Died young. And he's one of the people that had to die. But he was at such a level that he's also one of four people that Hashem allowed him to see what happens in Shemaim. There was four people in the Gemara. It says there was four people that were allowed to see what happens in Shemaim. Rabbi Akiva was one of them. Elisha ben Avuya was another one. Ben Zoma was another one. He was able to see what happens in Shemaim. We barely seeing each other right now. But Baruch Hashem, you're next to me so I can see you. He saw what happens in Shemaim. So, smicha no smicha is okay. So Ben Zoma says, who is wise? He takes a few different things, a few different traits, and he says, look at how much you don't know anything. How much we think we know and how much we actually don't know. He says, who's wise? You ask yourself, who's wise? Uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, Albert Einstein, Bill Gates. Uh, some guy a big IQ, no? He says, no. That's not wise. Who's wise? One who learns from every person. As it says, and he uses a uh, verse in, uh, in Psalms 119.99, 119 verse 99, 
It's a very long Tehillim. It's the longest Tehillim. From all of my teachers, I grew wise. David Melech, Kodesh Kodeshim, knew the entire Torah, had Lach Kodesh, became the fourth part of the Merkava of Hashem Itbarach, where Hashem put his Shechina on Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and David Melech became number four. David Melech says, I learned from all of my teachers. What does it mean, all my teachers? Anyone that had anything, I'd learn from it. Whether he was five years old, 50 years old, if it was an ant, if it was a human, anything I could learn, I learned. So first and foremost, already, just the beginning of this Mishnah, already Ben Zoma shocks our reality. Because you ask somebody who's smart, start naming scientists, we don't even know what they did, but they're famous, they're on TV, they were in a magazine, they uh, said that he discovered something, they're rich, they were something... We said, no, this guy, uh, this guy is smart, that guy is smart. She goes, no, 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 all of that's wrong. All that's wrong. The definition that we have is based on things that are beyond our control. And we'll explain further in a moment what that means. So he says, Ezel Gibol, who is strong, who is strong, First thing we're going to think about, oh yeah, it's the guy that won the last competition where he was able to pull a plane with his teeth. You put a rope, put it on his teeth, he started pulling the plane with his teeth. So like, yes, that guy's strong. He pulled the whole plane with his teeth. <clears throat> ben Zoma says, absolutely not. It has nothing to do with strength. It has nothing to do with strength. Who is strong? One who subdues it's personal inclination. One who beats up his Yetzirah. Takes the Satan and beats him up. And he uses another verse from Proverbs. Shlomo HaMelech, David HaMelech's son. As a source, and he says, Tov Erech HaPayim MiGibor Moshel Beruchom MiLoched Ir. says, He who is slow to anger is better than a strong man and a master of his passions is better than a conqueror of a city. So he says someone that's able to control his anger is much better than the guy that's pulling a plane with his teeth. And someone that's able to project his anger in the right way, project his energy in the right way, to control his midot and use every trait that he has for the good, is even better than Napoleon, than Nebuchadnezzar, than Paro, than all these people that ruled the world for a certain section of time. Bezat Hashem, we all have the ability to rule our kids. They rule the world. He says, you are able to beat your Yetzirah and actually control it. You're better than all of them. Simple trait. Not so simple though. He continues... Of course, we're going to elaborate on all of these. Who's rich? We go back to the first list. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, all the, the Forbes 500. You say, you say, who's rich? You just give the guy the magazine. Five, ten bucks, you give him the magazine. Oh, he's rich. Forbes 500. 500 people that have a billion, two billion dollars plus. Some of them have 70 billion dollars. I think the richest man has 70, 100, whatever billion dollars he has. That's rich, right? That's our definition of rich. Guy has a million dollars today, it's not even considered rich anymore. 
A million dollars, like, oh, you're doing okay. Rich, rich means 10 million or more. That's what rich means. And even that, to the rich people, he's not really rich. He's like, new money. He's like, okay. But Ben Zoma, one of the wisest men that ever lived, says, you're so far from the truth, you don't even know what rich is, Bechlal. He says, who's rich? Someone who's happy with his lot. Someone that's happy with whatever Hashem gave him. Yeah, what if Hashem just gave him problems? What if the only thing He gave him is bills? No income. It's a good question. And He used another verse to prove this. Also, Psalm 128.2. It says, When you eat of the labor of your hands, you're praiseworthy. You're praiseworthy. And all is well with you. You're praiseworthy in this world and all is well with you in the world to come. And last but not least, another proof that our reality is very, very different than his reality and Chazal and the Torah's reality, is he asks, who's honored? Who's an honorable person? So what do we think? What does the average guy think? Oh yeah, it's the sheikh from Saudi Arabia. He has as many cars as you have hair on your head. He has as many wives as you have socks. He has as many planes as you have, you know, dust in your kitchen. That's honorable. He has real estate. Like uh, we have uh, germs. I mean, they have their own countries. They don't just own uh, neighborhoods. They don't own a building. They own countries. That's an honorable person, right? Everybody gives them honor. They bow to him. They change the clothing for them. That's honorable. He says, you have no idea what you're talking about. He says, who's honored? One, he who honors others. And he uses Samuel 1, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 30. I mean, for those who honor me, I will honor them. And those who scorn me will be degraded. So Ben Zuma, one of the pillars of our sages, with the Gemara signs off on him, he was the sign, he was the symbol of wisdom. He says to us, first things first, if you believe that wisdom means IQ, if you believe that strength means physical, muscles, weapons, if you believe that wealth means money, gold, diamonds, and honor means having control of things that are material, if you show up to Shemaim with all of them, show up to Shemaim with all of them, to the Beddin of Shemaim, they're going to say, who is a failure? They're going to have a, they have a dictionary, they have, who is a failure? They're going to put your picture there. Yeah, but I had... Money. You had a lot of it, yeah. I had women. Yeah, you had a lot of that too. I had people kiss my hand when they see me. Yeah, yeah, you had that too. I was able, I was able to pull the two planes. Two, not one plane, two planes with my teeth. And just in case, I tied one to my leg. Yeah, you did that too. I had money, I had power, I did this. Yes, right here, definition, Failed. 
You failed at your test. You're, you are the definition of failure. That's what we're going to say in Shemaim. Ben Zomai is telling us, I have. I went to Shemaim. He says, I went to Shemaim. I went to Shemaim. I saw some things. He knows a few things. And it wasn't a clinical debt. What's the source for this entire Mishnah? He says, I listened to the prophet Jeremiah. Prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 22. He gives us, in essence, the same thing we just read. He says, everything that Ben Zoma said, it's not his opinion. Everything that Ben Zoma just said, of telling us that if this is our achievements, we're all failures, it's not his opinion. It's God's opinion. God says you have zillions and zillions of dollars. You have houses in every city. You have uh, a, the strength of uh, five elephants. You have uh, everybody kissing your hand when you just look at them. He says, Hashem's opinion is, means nothing. Where? Prophet Jeremiah says it. Prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 22 says, Thus said Hashem, so you don't get a mix, there's no two Hashem, there's one Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Thus said Hashem, let not, let, let not the wise man glorify himself with his wisdom, and let not the strong man glorify himself with his strength, and let not the rich man glorify himself with his wealth, for only with this may one glorify himself, contemplating and knowing me. For I am Hashem who does kindness, justice, righteousness in the land. For these is my desire. The word of Hashem. Hashem says you have all those things. It's absolutely nothing. The only thing you're allowed to be proud of is your connection with me. Beginning, middle, end. You have a connection with me. You got something going for you. Got something going for you. You don't have a connection with me. Whatever you do have is working against you. So Ben Zuma already telling us, I'm not giving you an opinion. I'm giving you a fact. Now for those that still want to chase money and all the other things, the rest of that paragraph in Jeremiah gets a little scarier. Because it doesn't have to do with common sense anymore. It has to do with Hashem making a promise. Hashem says, I gave you an interesting life. I gave you all types of gifts. But I also told you that you need to use these gifts for certain things. If you do good. If you don't, this is what happens. And verse 24 continues immediately after what I just read. It says, Behold the days of coming. This He's talking about the days of Mashiach. The word of Hashem, when I shall deal with everyone who is circumcised for his uncircumcision, with Egypt and with Judah, with Edom and with the children of Ammon and with Moab, and with all those who dwell in the remotest corners of the wilderness. For all the nations are uncircumcised and the house of Israel is of uncircumcised heart. It says, when the Mashiach comes, I'm going to deal with all of you. All of you that spent your entire life chasing money, 
chasing strength physically, chasing everything except connection with me, I'm going to deal with all of you. Because the Goyim had a mission in the world. You didn't do it. You already said, we talked about it last night, two-thirds of the Goyim are going to die in Gogu Magog. But he says, that's just the Goyim. The Jews also have a serious problem. Why? Because if you didn't do tshuva, you're not. Maybe you're circumcised because your parents force you to get circumcised at eight days old. But your heart is still uncircumcised. Maybe you look like a dati. Maybe you look like a chassid. Maybe you look your payers reach the floor and your beard reaches the next door neighbor. But if your heart is still uncircumcised, you haven't done tshuva yet, I'm going to deal with you personally also. Because instead of connecting with me, sanctifying my name, being proud of being a Jew, what did you do? You want to sanctify your bank account. You want to sanctify a new neighborhood. You want to sanctify people saying thank you to you for doing nothing. You give tzedakah, so you want your name on the top of the Beknesset. You want everybody to know you give tzedakah to the Beknesset. So I'm going to deal with you also. He's giving you a promise over here. He's giving you a promise. Jew or non-Jew, the day is going to come, I'm going to have to deal with all of you. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. The uncircumcised are uncircumcised physically. The circumcised are uncircumcised spiritually. Meaning we haven't done tshuva yet. So here's this Mishnah is getting scarier and scarier. So now we have to know how do we get out of this trouble that we're in. He says first and foremost, you need to understand something. When Hashem says that everything is from Him, everything is from Hashem, everything is from heaven, except the fear of heaven. Means, simply said, anything you have, money, houses, fame, fortune, wife, kids, tall, short, black, white, Spanish, Mexican, I don't know, Chinese, you're a little teddy bear, you're a panda bear, you're a lion in a zoo, you're a lion in a movie, whatever you are, all of that's beyond your control, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. Hashem decided you will have this. So what are you so proud about? The fact that you're proud about things that are beyond your control shows the distance between you and reality. The fact that you're so proud of how rich you are and how many houses you have, and how smart you are, and how great you are about things that are beyond your control anyway, shows how distant you are from reality. Shows that you are no different than the little boy that looks at the sun and says, wow, that's the size of a quarter. When anyone that goes to the class in school, and say, no, no, it's not the size of a quarter, it's really more like, a few thousand sizes times the size of earth. We can't fathom how big and powerful the sun is, just like we can't fathom how different reality is from our warped version of reality. So he says, if you're proud of all these material things, you're far away from the truth. Because none of them are in your control. None of them. The only thing you're allowed to be proud of is something that you are able to attain yourself. 
And the only things you can attain yourself are things that are built on a foundation of Yirat Shamayim. The foundation, it says everything is from Hashem except Yirat Shamayim. You decide whether you fear Hashem or not. Now, Yirat Shamayim is like, has staircases, has levels of it. Whatever you have, if it, the foundation of it is fear of Hashem, connecting to Hashem, you could potentially attain it yourself. So for example, he says, you can learn as many books as you want. You can learn science books, biology books, all the books you want. But that doesn't make you wise. You could be educated, but still a fool. There are many, many people, unfortunately, that know or believe they know a lot about different science, medicine, and plenty of other things. But they're the greatest fools on earth. People that are especially famous scientists, that go on TV, that go in magazines, that have fame and fortune, that have power, that have the ability to reach the public, instead of saying, wow, thank God for where I am, what do they say? There's no God. Everything starts with nothing. It's just there. Even the ant, the ant, the little ant that has a brain that's microscopic, knows that it couldn't happen from nothing. The ant even knows that there's no such thing as something happening from nothing. But these very famous people that people look up to spend their entire life trying to convince the world of this foolishness. So he says that you reading books, you having a high IQ, you having certain degrees means absolutely nothing. Why? Because it did not change your character. You're still the same you. With just more information, which in many cases is nonsense to begin with. But even if the information was right, let's say you're a mathematician, math is math. One plus one is always going to be two, regardless of who the mathematician is. If you tell me it's 2.1, you have to go use a calculator from now on. So, you could be the greatest mathematician, but it's not going to change your character. Aristotle was known as a person that would teach his students to be civilized, upper class, nose up in the air, better than I, you know, better than everyone else. But there was one flaw in the system. It's very well known that when Aristotle ate food, he would look 100% like a lion eating a zebra. He would look like an animal. So in the beginning, people were scared of saying anything, but after a while, somebody couldn't take it anymore. They said, you teach us to be civilized, you teach us to be sophisticated, you teach us to be this and that and this and that, but you're eating like a, I don't know, even the baby is cleaner than you. The baby has spaghetti all over his face, has less than you on his face. You have it on your hair even. Why do you eat like that? He says, when I eat, I'm not Aristotle. Meaning that the whole thing he was teaching was nonsense. It did not change him. This is the key difference between secular knowledge 
and Torah. When you learn secular knowledge, math, science, all types of other secular knowledge, architecture, graphics, whatever, it's a skill set, it's a tool. Today, a tool can be a program on the computer. Tomorrow, that program can be obsolete. It becomes absolutely useless, which means that all of the knowledge and experience you have from that program is worth zero. I remember before I got into the stock market business, I tried going into the computer business. And I wanted to uh, check out this course, and I took a Microsoft course to be a Microsoft uh, technician. And uh, I was like a few thousand dollars for the course. And I know, like when I interviewed with the guy, the guy, I told him, listen, I don't really have much computer knowledge other than like the internet was just beginning at the time. You know, it's not, internet wasn't in every house yet. Companies had it, but houses didn't have it. Uh, at least most didn't have it. Kind of gives you an idea of how old I am. Um, but anyway, I told him I don't really have much knowledge about this Microsoft... C++, A this, A all this stuff. I don't, I don't know anything. No, don't worry about it. You don't need to know anything about networking. You don't need to know anything about anything. You just come to the class, you pay the fee, you're fine. You'll learn everything in class. I'll give you these books. He gives me these five, six giant books. So come to the class, you're fine. I come to the class. Everyone in the class is already in the field. Everyone's already an expert. They just didn't have the certification. The guy's a complete filthy liar. They're all experts. They're just there... Because if they get this certificate on the wall, their salary goes up 50-60%. Me, I don't understand a word the guy's saying. Nothing. He's telling me this, he's telling me that. The only thing I understood, network cable. I knew I had something like that in my house. Uh, not nothing else. Now, he was an expert. An expert in networking. An expert in lying meaning that all of the knowledge that he had did not improve his character. If anything, it made it worse. When you learn Torah, the way Torah is supposed to be learned, not when you just read the book and just say, ah, it's like, it's interesting. Not when you're using the Torah like it for intellectual purposes. When you look at the Torah, you read the Musar, you read the lessons of Moshe Rabbeinu, you read the lessons of Avraham Avinu, you read the mitzvot, you read what Chazal said, you look at all this stuff, you say, how can I apply this to my life? Where are they, where am I? How can I use this to make me better? A better version of me. The Torah doesn't change you, it improves you. The difference between Torah and secular knowledge is that when you apply Torah, it changes you. It improves you to such an extent that you become a much, much better version of you. Sort of like a souped-up car. You know, I remember when I was a kid, they used to have uh, this show on TV, and it was this uh, rapper that uh, liked taking beat-up cars and souping them up, like putting rims on them and new windows and TVs, like this little junk car that was like worth $300. He 
He puts fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of electronics and equipment on it. It looks amazing. So times that by a zillion, and that's the beginning of Torah, of what the Torah does to your neshama, what the Torah does to your personality, what the Torah does to everything that has to do with your inside. But it's not so simple. It's not that you just read Parashat Shavua or come to class for a year or two and everything becomes wonders. It's gradual. It's something that takes a while. But the first thing to know is that who is wise? According to Ben Zoma, it's not the one that possesses the wisdom of the secular world and it's also not the one that possesses what he believes is Torah even. There are many people that know, you ask them Alachot Shabbat, they'll tell you the whole thing by heart. You ask them Shulchan Aruch, they'll tell you things by heart. Many pages by heart, laws by heart. You ask them certain stories, they'll tell you that which page it's on. They'll know a lot of things by heart. But then you see them, the way they behave, they're worse than Aristotle. You see how they behave, how their nature is. Lack of patience, huge amount of anger, filthy mouth, all types of things. And like, you and Aristotle are no different. But how is that possible? He has Torah. He learned Torah. He knows who Moshe Rabbeinu is. He knows Rabbi Akiva. He knows Ben Zoma. He knows all these things. How is it possible that he has Torah and he's still like Aristotle? How could it be? Because there's one major key ingredient that's missing that breaks the whole thing. The key ingredient is Yirat Shemaim. The Torah without Yirat Shemaim is only an intellectual endeavor. It's not Torah. It is not, once the Torah is missing Yirat Shemaim, it's the same thing like Mad Shalom, like history. Like a uh, science, like anything, any other secular subject. It's purely an intellectual endeavor. And the reason is because once the Torah is missing, you have no idea why you're learning it because you have no idea who's watching you, who wants you to learn it, who's commanding you to learn it, and the purpose of learning it. You have no idea what you're doing. You're just reading a book, you're doing some laws. You're growing some beard because you don't feel like shaving. You're not doing it for the real reason. It's not Torah anymore. It's something else. You've changed the Torah and chas v'shalom, you've made it into a secular subject. So now, Ben Zomai is telling you who's wise? It's someone that not only has the real Torah by applying this Torah, says, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu did, I'm going to do that. This is what Avraham Avinu said, I'm going to do that. This is what Ben Zoma said, I'm going to try to apply this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Why? Because I know it's good for me. It's hard. It's good for me though. But it's hard. It's going to be good for me. It's tough to do this. It's tough to change. It's tough to keep your anger inside. It's tough to do all these things. But you know it's good for you. When you start applying it, because you have Yirat Shamayim, because you have a connection to Hashem and you're afraid of the outcome of sinning, Ben Zoma says, you're at the beginning of wisdom. But what's the ultimate level of wisdom that he's talking about here? It's not that you possess Torah. It's if you chase it. 
It's not that you possess wisdom, it's if you chase wisdom. Someone that knows a lot of Torah is called a Talmit Chacham. In Hebrew, it's called Talmit Chacham. Talmit Chacham literally means wise student. Now, if he's the Gdolado, he's the biggest rabbi of the generation, why are you still calling him Talmid? He's a rabbi. No, no, no. He's Talmid Chacham. Because anyone that truly possesses Torah knows that in order for you to possess Torah in the first place, first thing first, you have to be a student forever. You're a permanent, lifelong, eternal student. Which means that one of the most important character traits to have in order to even have a chance of becoming wise, in order to even have a chance of attaining Torah, of reaching Torah, of reaching this wisdom, is humility. Don't look for people to call you Rabbi, Gaon, Tzaddik, Amazing, whatever, all that. That's not, that's not Talmid Chacham. If they call you, they call you, it's their business. But you yourself, I'm Talmid. I'm Talmid. Maybe one day I'll be Chacham too. Maybe one day. Talmid Chacham means you need to know the entire Torah. They ask you a question on any subject, you have to be able to answer it. There's not many of them in the world anymore. There's many people that know certain parts of the Torah. You ask them about Parashat Shavuah, he knows about it. You ask him about certain alachot of Shabbat, he knows about it. You ask him about alachot shechita, he knows about it. But you start asking about tarat mishpacha, he doesn't know, he's not an expert. To be a, talmid, a true talmid chacham, you have to be able to answer questions about every subject in the Torah. This is a very, very high level that requires years and years and years of changes, sacrifices, and serious amount of learning that never ends without even a single day break. So first and foremost, Ben Zoma is telling you the difference between wise and smart. Smart is something that Hashem gave you. Hashem gave you a brain with an IQ of 150. You decided to use it for science. You decided to use it for architecture. You decided to use it for, I don't know, uh, fashion. Fine. That's just a skill set you have. It has nothing to do with you. I gave it to you. It's free. You can't tell people, look how much money I have if it's daddy's money. You didn't make it. There's nothing to be proud about. You can't wear the Ramban. The Ramban writes in Igeret Ramban, the letter that he wrote his son. He says, you can't go around in the king's robe celebrating. It's not your robe. Oh, you're not the king. You just stole his robe. You can't pretend like you're the king. You can't celebrate the IQ you have. It's not yours. Shem gave it to you. And just as easily as he gave it to you, he can take it away. And Ramban also says this to his son. He says, just so you know, don't ever celebrate any wisdom that you have or you think you attained. Because as fast as Hashem gives wisdom to people, He takes it from them. So, Ben Zoma first tells us, First things first, you need to understand the only things that you're allowed to be proud of is something that you were able to attain by yourself. Knowledge of Torah you can attain by yourself because it requires mesirut nefesh. It requires self-sacrifice. It requires an extraordinary amount of applicable changes. 
not just intellectual changes, but applicable changes to your behavior. If you have done tshuva, but you're still yelling at your wife on a regular basis, you haven't done tshuva yet. You started, but the tshuva is not even close to being completed. If you've done tshuva in your eyes, but you're still cheap, stingy, when it comes to giving your wife money, when it comes to investing into the Torah world, whether it be to Kiruv or to Avrechim or something to publicize the Torah, you haven't done tshuva yet. You've done tshuva on certain things, but complete tshuva requires an overall encompassing character change. If you've done tshuva, but you still look at every woman that moves, you haven't done tshuva at all. Because you, ha- you don't even realize the purpose of life. If you're still looking at women like a piece of meat, you're not even close. All you are is just a golem that keeps Shabbat. The donkey also keeps Shabbat. As long as you don't put anything on his back, he just hangs out. Doesn't do anything. So Ben Zoma says, first and foremost, know that you're allowed to be proud of something you actually did. And what you could actually do in this world is very limited. Now who do we learn this from? He says we learn this from David Melech. David Melech, David Melech. David Melech was completely Kodesh Kodeshim. In the Gemara, to give you guys a little bit of an idea of David Melech, people know the famous story of him in Bacheva, and a lot of people think that, oh, maybe David Melech sinned. Some people have been teach that he sinned, but the Gemara says, David Melech didn't sin. David Melech didn't sin. If he sinned, Hashem would not make him the fourth part of the Merkava that holds the Shekhinah. With Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. In his level, it was frowned upon. In his level. Because he was so holy. But if it was us doing what he did, it would be 100% allowed. Why? Because Batsheva was not married at the time he was with her. Because one of the things that the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin says, that it was the tradition was that anytime somebody goes to war, the husbands give all of the wives a get. They give all of their wives a get until they come home. If they don't come home, then they're already retroactively divorced. Meaning they're divorced from the time they already left. Because if a, if a man dies in a war, you need to have witnesses that saw the body, saw that he died. If there's no body, you have a serious problem. You have to have proof that he died. So if someone didn't give his wife a get, and he went, and Shalom, he died in a war, and there's no body to be found. There's no get. The wife is still is, 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 is still not allowed to get married again. This was one of the very famous cases that Rabbi Vadya, Zechat Tzadik Vivracha, had to deal with. Uh, with the war, there was unfortunately a lot of deaths. And Rabbi Vadya investigated every single one, investigated every single death to make sure that the wife is allowed to get married to confirm that the husband was dead. He would talk to people, he would interview them. He was a private investigator for months and months and months. Why? Why such a big deal? In Judaism, unlike in the zoo, 
In Judaism, we have laws of marriage. You can't just be with anyone you want. Meaning that once a, a man and a woman are married, they're married by a biblical law. They're married by the laws of God. It's not the laws of some court system that no one really cares about, but you have to do it for formality purposes or because you want money. When you marry for God, when you marry according to His system, you have to follow certain things. You're only allowed to be intimate at certain times of the month. You're only allowed to do certain things, and so on and so forth. One of the things that you are definitely not allowed to do is you're not allowed to marry a different woman unless your original wife accepts it. Unless the original, unless your initial wife says, yes, marry another wife. That was the original biblical law. But about a thousand years ago, Rabbeinu Gershom outlawed it. He says, even though polygamy was originally allowed in Judaism, we see certain uh, sages had multiple wives. A thousand years ago, we saw already, the sages already saw that we're not at the level anymore that we could actually marry multiple women for the right reason. We're only marrying multiple women for lustral reasons. And that's not the right reason. So they outlawed it. So now, if there is a marriage that has problems that leads to a divorce, and the husband doesn't want to give the wife a get, she's not allowed to marry another guy. She's not allowed to be with another guy. If she's intimate with another man, before she gets the get, the child that's born is a mamzel. And a mamzel is, not a, is, 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 in essence, a very different part of Judaism to such an extent that he's only allowed to marry another mamzel or a convert. He's not allowed to marry a regular Jew that's not a mamzel. Why? Because the goal is for Hashem to remove that seed, remove that sin from the world. He doesn't want him to continue. So this creates a lot of problems for generation after generation after generation. So now to say that David Amelech sinned is to say that potentially one of the children was a mamzel. This could not be because the Mashiach comes from David Amelech. And the Gemara says that David Melech not only didn't sin, but his uh, Batsheva was not married at the time. She got to get. They would get to get before anybody went to war because in case they die, it's already retroactively as if they were not married as of the first day. The second thing is also, in addition to that, the Gemara says, even without the get, the laws of a king are different than a citizen. The laws of a king are different than a person. Why? Because unlike the secular world where you have to elect Donald Trump and Osama or Obama and this one and now you have to elect them, people need to like them or they have to buy off the votes or cheat the system and all that stuff. There's no cheating God. The only way you become king of Israel is God needs to pick you. God needs to say, you're the king. So that's the other thing. And the laws of a king are different. There's other issues, but point being is that Gemara says he didn't sin. But still, because his level of Kedushah was so high, David Melech was afraid that maybe what he did is frowned upon, and therefore he fasted for 22 years. He only ate once a day at night, and he fasted for 22 years straight. Because he felt... He cried every day, he says in Tehilim, he cried every day and he filled a cup, a cup full of tears every day. For 
the little bit of distance that he felt from Hashem. The little bit of distance. He still had Rocha Kodesh, but he felt a little bit of distance from Hashem. He cried about it for 22 years. That's Kodesh. So now this very same David HaMelech in a Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, page 30, asks Hashem, Hashem, when am I going to die? We ask Hashem a lot of questions. Difference is Hashem doesn't answer. To David HaMelech, he answered. He says, you're going to die on Shabbat. You're going to die on the day of the week. I can't tell you the year or the time, but you're going to die on Shabbat. You're going to die on the day of the week. You're going to die on Shabbat. So David HaMelech says, Shabbat, they're not going to be able to bury me. I don't want anyone to desecrate Shabbat. I don't want Chash uh, Shalom. Shabbat, that's the deal between us. That's the covenant. That's everything. Hashem, please, bury me on Friday. Bury me on Sunday. Bury me on Friday. Not on Shabbat. Absolutely not, Hashem says. If I bury you on Sunday... That means that your kinghood is going to go into the territory of your son Shlomo's kinghood. And there's no kinghood that can be at the same time. When yours ends, the other one begins. And yours can't have an extra day, just like his can't have one less day or one extra day. The math of Shemaim is beyond precise. It's not like us, we postpone, you get the alarm in the morning, you, you know... Uh, well, snooze it for a half hour and another 20 minutes, then another half hour, another half hour. The next thing you know, you woke up the next day. No, Hashem doesn't snooze. He doesn't snooze. It says, the kinghood of your son, specific day in Shemaim. I already wrote it when I created the world. When I created the world, I already knew he's going to be king on that day. So the VMF says, okay, no problem. I'm not going to, I understand, no problem. Friday. I'll, I'll even lose a day. I'm willing to lose a day of my life. I'm lo- willing to lose a day of my life just so you don't bear, just you don't kill me on Shabbat. That's it. I don't want anyone to violate Shabbat on me. I don't want maybe my body's going to smell. Maybe this. Maybe this. You know, all that time, all million and a half reasons of why I don't want to die on Shabbat. Hashem, I'm willing to give a day of my life. Who here is willing to give a minute of their life for any reason? If you have a guy that has a, a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars, you tell him, listen, you're going to die in five minutes. But if you want, give me the entire trillion dollars. I'll leave you five bucks. I'll leave you five dollars. I'll let you live for another day. One more day. Five, either you die in five minutes or one more day, but you have to give me all of the money. I'll leave you five bucks. You can buy coffee. Is he giving you the money or not? Is he even thinking about it for a second? Not if he's a normal person. Why? Because he knows once he dies, the money's worthless. So he worked his whole life to gain this trillion dollars, but in reality, he could spend it in a moment for something he had for free. But David Melech is telling you Shabbat is worth more than a day of my life. He's saying to you, I'm willing to give a day in my life, just don't bury me, just don't kill me, just don't take my neshama out on Shabbat. Listen to this. 
Shemit Barach says to him, on the day your son opens the Beta Mikdash, he's going to bring thousands of korbanot. Thousands. Rav Mizrahi one time did the math. He said the amount of korbanot, of sacrifices, that Shlomo HaMelech did just on the grand opening of the Beta Mikdash was somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 million. $150 million in sacrifices valued today. Tens of thousands of cows and this and then birds and so on. It's all in exact math in the, uh, in the Torah of how many birds and how many cows and how many bulls and how many all these different things. So if you do the basic math, the cow is, let's say, $10,000. The sheep is, I don't know, 500 bucks and so on and so forth. You do the math of everything. You did the math. It was like somewhere in the neighborhood of almost $150 million. Grand opening. Grand opening. It's not every, just the grand opening. They said that when Shlomo Amelech was king, the, the uh, gold was like sand. That's how rich he was. Gold was like sand. When they destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, it took them days to take the chip off all the gold from the Beit HaMikdash. But when they brought the gold to Babylon, it was so much gold, the whole gold market crashed. It was oversupply of gold. That's how rich they were. So the amount of korbanot that Shlomo HaMelech sacrificed to Hashem Barach to honor him, to sanctify his name, to make him king, and publicize his kinghood, extraordinary. Hashem says, all of those korbanot, a thousand korbanot, any korbanot, all of them, are not worth to me like a single day of watching you, my son David Melech, learn Torah. Learn Chumash. Learn Gemara. Learn Mishnah. Learn in your head. Learn Torah one day is worth to me more than all of the korbanot that your son's going to give me. All of them. And then we're not talking about Shlomo Melech. No. Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech was given wisdom that Chazal says was one level below God. Shem gave him a gift that he didn't give to anybody else. He gave him with If it wasn't written in the books, we wouldn't be allowed to say it. He gave him wisdom that was mamash one level below God. It's something beyond our understanding. The only thing I can tell you to understand it is you read some of the Midrashim of how they describe the technology that Shlomo HaMelech had in his throne. It worked off of speech with no electricity. He had a golden dove fly in the air. No technology. Hold his crown and put it on his head. I mean, things that we don't have today. Not, not even close to having today. Only he could sit on the throne. No one else could sit on the throne. Paro tried to sit on the throne. Broke his back. Things that are beyond comprehension. So this Shlomo Melech that was potentially going to bring the Mashiach. He tried bringing the Mashiach. That's why he married a thousand women. Not because he's uh, sick, chas v'shalom. He's a holy person. Hashem says, all the korbanot, Shlomo Melech, it's going to build my Bet HaMikdash, the first Bet HaMikdash. All of the korbanot he brings is not worth to me like a single day of you learning Torah, David HaMelech. Single day. 
Therefore, I'm not removing a day of your life. It's too valuable to me. It's too valuable to me to lose one day of you learning my Torah. One day. Not a week, not a month, not a year, not a... One day if you learn Torah, learn a little Mishnah, a little Chumash, a little something, worth to me more than all the Kobanot. That's David Melech's Torah. So this very same David Melech, Kodesh Kodeshim, says, okay, I know that when I learn Torah, the Satan can't bother me. So on Shabbat, he made it a thing. What did he do? He says, from now on, on Shabbat, I don't take a break. I learned Torah from the beginning of Shabbat until the end of Shabbat without taking a break. No sleep, no nothing. It's not like he slept much during the week. He slept 15 minutes at a time. They say he slept like a horse. 15 minutes at a time. But he says on Shabbat, not even the 15 minutes. So the Satan, the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 30b, says, Satan came to take his neshama. He said, okay, it's time. It's Shabbat. That's the time that Hashem decreed in Shammai, I have to take his neshama. He shows up, he's like, I can't, I can't touch him. He doesn't stop learning. He doesn't stop learning, meaning his mind doesn't leave the Torah for a moment. We're not talking about five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, two hours, takes a break, eat some bamba, take a, you know, go to the back. No, not talking about that. So a moment, his mind doesn't leave the Torah. A moment. I wish I could study a moment like he studied a day. He studied for just one moment. Satan says, I can't touch him. I can't touch him. Eventually, Satan had to finagle something and he made a noise outside on a tree that was outside of David Melech's window. And David Melech jumped up Went to go see, and the Satan removed one of the stairs. So David Melech fell on the stairs, and the moment that he fell, as he fell, his mind lost focus. For that moment, lost focus, and that moment he took his neshama. There's no way of fooling the Satan. But Chazal asked a phenomenal question. The Melech, so holy, so amazing, so extraordinary. But every time somebody goes on a tree, gets up, he just said he doesn't even take a break for Bamba and Beastly. Somebody went on a tree, what? Somebody made a noise, you're gonna get up every minute. Even I don't get up for every single turn. David Melech got up because somebody's on a tree. believe was the Chafetz Chaim that answered this question and maybe Ben Ishchai, but I believe it was the Chafetz Chaim it's one of the giants previous generations I confuse the names between those two all the time even though they're nothing alike it's just in my mind this name sound the same And um, he says, absolutely not. You think he's going to get up for every time there's a noise? You think he's going to get up every time there's somebody sneezes? It's not David Melech. David Melech did not leave the Torah for a moment to the point 
where the Satan says, I can't touch him because he doesn't stop thinking about Torah. So of course such a person, such a holy person, doesn't just get up for any reason. What happened? David Melech knew, hey, somebody's on my tree. It's Shabbat today. You're not allowed to climb a tree on Shabbat. I have to go rebuke him. I have to go tell him, Rasha, you're not allowed to go on a tree on Shabbat. Many people, many people watching this today, just learn you're not allowed to climb a tree on Shabbat for the first time, Baruch Hashem. He already was at a point where he's not knowing that the halacha, he's thinking actively. He's applied it to his life where natural inclination was, forget that you're not allowing it. Forget it's not allowed. It's easy. Anybody, you go to yeshiva, you learn halacha, now from now on, for the rest of your life, you're going to know you're not allowed to climb a tree. It's not the big deal. Him, it became one with him. It became part of him where he knew the fact that you're not allowing it. The fact that Hashem Bach made a law, you're not allowing somebody to climb a tree and someone dared desecrate your name and climb a tree on Shabbat, I must defend your honor. I must put a stop to it now. There's no way that I can allow someone to desecrate Hashem Bach's name and go on a tree on Shabbat. That's when you become one with the Torah. That's the difference between science, math, and all this other shtuyot and applying Torah to your life. That's the Vida Melech. Um, yeah. so, uh, what's the status of, of a woman that is not married, uh, that is married, I think, I don't know what it's, uh, the, the husband. Aguna. 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 So now, David Melech. How did he become David Melech? The secret to his success is this verse that Ben Zoma uses from Psalm one nineteen ninety nine. iskalti. David Melech says, from all of my teachers I grew wise. He says, I love the Shem and his Torah so much that anywhere that I looked at, I found a way. I looked for a way and found a way to apply it to my life, apply it to Torah, to learn from anywhere that I can, Torah. I looked at the ant and I said, ah, I can learn to stop being lazy from the ant. The ant doesn't stop working. I can learn to stop being lazy because if I'm lazy, I can't learn Torah. Why? If I'm lazy, what do I want to do when I go home? I'll go to sleep. You want to be Talmit Chacham? There's not much sleep, my friend. You can sleep six, seven hours a day. Enjoy, whatever. You're not going to be Talmit Chacham. You'll know some basic halachot. You'll be a basic level Jew. It's fine. No problem. You're not going to be Tomit Chacham sleeping six, seven, eight hours a day. You're not going to be. It's not going to happen. So what's somebody on the internet going to No, no, but the Rambam said you're supposed to sleep eight hours a day. Yes, if you're an average person. Not Tomit Chacham. Tomit Chacham? 
already have it. So Mishnah chapter 6, we're going to get to it, Bezat Hashem. It says, one of the laws, there are laws to becoming a Talmit Chacham. Already know it from the beginning, if you even want to aspire to be Talmit Chacham, already know, sleep less. How much less? A lot less. A lot less. The bigger the Talmit, the less the sleep. The giants that you read about in the stories all the time, don't be surprised if you see in their bios, the guy slept for an hour and a half a day, two hours a day. An average person can't survive. You can't just stop sleeping. You have to train yourself. You have to have the merit to not sleep. Because a lot of people, you can skip sleep. People pull uh, you know, all-nighters a lot of times, especially when you're a teenager, you're young, you pull all-nighters all the time. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about pu- pulling an all-nighter. I'm talking about being at the top of your mental and spiritual capacity for an extended period of time without being bothered by not to sleep. Just not sleeping, yeah, you eat ice, you won't sleep. Drink a lot of coffee, you won't sleep. It's not a big deal not to sleep. One day, two days, three days. Function after three months, six months, a year, two years, four years, five years. 15 years of no sleep. And use that time you're not sleeping, not on Facebook. Use it learning from books. So already here, David Melech is telling you, I looked at the end and I learned that in order for me to be Talmit Chacham, laziness has to be thrown in the garbage. I looked at my enemies. My enemies. And I asked them questions because I knew maybe there's an halacha, there's one halacha, two halachas, five, I don't know what they know. Maybe there's something I don't know. It's irrelevant that they're my enemies. It doesn't matter that they're my enemies. Maybe I can learn an halacha in order to sanctify Hashem's name, in order to honor Hashem in one more way. Who cares that it's coming from my enemies? Who cares? It's to honor Hashem. Who cares that it's, who cares if it comes from Saddam Hussein? It's a way to honor Hashem. Who cares where it's, about, where it's from? It's real. It's good. It's, a, it's, a, it's legitimate. It's from Torah. I don't know it. I, I, I want to learn Torah. The Vida Melech is telling you, you want to be Tamit Chacham. You want to be wise. You have to chase the knowledge because that's in your hands. Chasing it, chasing the Torah, the Mesirut Nefesh, that's in your hands. Outcome is not in your hands. Hashem decides when to give you knowledge, when not. But the Mesirut Nefesh, whether you're going to show up to the Shur at 9 o'clock at night in the middle of the week, or you're going to be sleeping at home, that's in your hands. You could sleep, you could watch it on YouTube tomorrow, you could watch it on Facebook Live, or you could drive an hour and a half to show up. Difference is Mesirut Nefesh. When you have Mesirut Nefesh, David Melech says you're already on the, wise, on the right track of attaining wisdom. Next, Ezeu Gibor. Ezeu Gibor is telling you, first and foremost, you need to understand it has nothing to do with physical. Because physical, again, has nothing to do with you. Even if you work out every day, there's plenty of people that work out for the last 20 years. They're still fat, chubby, and weak. Working out doesn't necessarily make you a uh, bodybuilder. But it has nothing to do with strength that he's talking about here. 
He says someone that's truly strong is someone that's able to take the Torah and apply it to his life to change his evil inclination. Take his natural desire to want money, to want sex, to want uh, pride, to want uh, all of these things that are natural inclinations of the body. The Rambam says, the Rambam, in Ilchot Be'ah, he says, the only reason Hashem gave you a body, only reason, is for you to generate seed, as a man. To generate seed so you can bring kids to the world. If there was no purpose for procreation to bring children to the world, Hashem would not give you a body. Simply put, there is no other useful use for your body. Which means that the natural inclination of a, of a male body is to generate seed. And as Yetzirah says, don't just generate it, waste it. You don't need a woman. You need a woman. It doesn't make a difference. You don't want the kid, you just want the woman. Waste it, waste it, do what you... That's your only... He's convincing you that it's good for you. You have even people with PhDs after their names telling you it's healthy. So the Satan keeps convincing you of all the things that are against what's really your best interest. So Ben Zoma is telling you if you're able to take the Torah, apply Yirat Shamayim, Apply the Musar that helps you get this Yirat Shamayim to your life and get yourself to stop. Not because you don't want to, because you're still going to have the physical desire. But because you're scared to. There is honor in being scared. So much honor that the wisest man of all time, Shlomo HaMelech, says, Reshit Chokhmah Yirat Hashem. The first sign that you have any sign of wisdom, to even say that you could possibly have wisdom, first you have to have fear of Hashem. If you're not afraid of God, you cannot even consider yourself in the same sentence, paragraph or even book, as someone that's wise. You can know anything you want to know. It doesn't make a difference. You have no wisdom whatsoever. Why? You're not afraid of the only thing you should be afraid of. So if you could take the Torah and apply it to your life to such an extent, we say, I'm going to stop wasting seed. I'm going to stop stealing. I'm going to stop driving on Shabbat. I'm going to stop things that I want to do. Your natural inclination wants to do it. And the Rambam even signs off, he says, some of these things you want to do, that's what you were made for. So it's going against your animalistic nature. Why? I'm scared. Purely, simple, bottom line, beginning, middle, end. I am scared. That's the first reason. Anyone that says starts, did any of these things for a different reason is a liar. You don't do any of those things on an extended period of time for a different reason. You could potentially get to a point of not wasting seed and keeping Shabbat and doing all the mitzvot because you love Hashem. You can get there. Starting there is impossible. Why? Because in order to love Hashem, first you have to fear Him. 
And you can't love something if you don't know what it is. And if you know even a small inclination of what God is, of course you're going to fear Him. You can't know what God is without fearing Him. So Ben Zomai is telling you, first and foremost, understand the depthness of what wisdom is. Understand the depthness of what real strength is. Overcoming your physical desires, your natural desires, the things that made sense to you your whole life, all of a sudden you realize they're wrong. It's wrong to be married into marriage. It's wrong to do things on Shabbat you're not allowed to do on Shabbat. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to whatever. You know, every thief doesn't view himself as a thief that's a bad guy. Every criminal doesn't wake up in the morning and says, I can't wait to be a bad person. Everyone views themselves as good. Even Hitler, viewed himself as good. He thought he was doing Hashem a favor. He thought he was doing mankind a favor by destroying this insect called Jews. That's what he thought he was doing. He thought he was doing everyone a favor. The thief thinks that he's doing the store a favor because he's going to take money from them. They're going to be able to claim money from the insurance. That's probably more money than he stole. So they're going to be profitable at the end. He's rationalizing in his head of how he's doing them a favor. The car that he stole, oh, now the insurance company will give this guy a new car. So look, I did him a favor. I took his old car. Now he has a new car. He should thank me. He should, and if anything, he should pay me for it. The Yetzirah will, will always convince you that your evil is good. Ben Zuma says, you take the Yetzirah and you punch him in the face. And you tell him, whatever you're telling me, I know it's a lie. Person wakes up in the morning, needs to go to Beknes and go to Filat Minyan. Yetzirah says, no, go to sleep. What are you doing? It's 6 o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep. Wake up. Go to Minyan at 8. Go to Minyan at 8. Why are you going at 6 o'clock? It's so early. You worked so hard yesterday. You didn't go to sleep till 2 o'clock in the morning. What do you think? You're Rabbi Akiva. Who do you think you are? Go to sleep. You're a human being. Relax. Next week, go to 6. He's convincing you. Someone who applied the Torah to his life. Ben Zuma says, what do you answer him? Let's think about it. Yetzirah. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. You're right. It's very, very early. But what are you doing up? Oh, you're working? What do you work? You, who do you work for? You work for God. What's your job? Your job is to weaken me. To distance me. Why? Because that's the test. So if you're already working, leave me alone. Let me work too. I go work to the test. You take the Torah and you use it as a tool to and apply it to your life. You're never going to want to wake up at six o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. You're never going to not want to go to the beach where everyone's naked. Never. You're always going to want to go. As far as physically. You're never going to not want to have intimate relations with somebody you're not allowed to do. Your body will want it. Always. Torah will purify it over time to the point where you're not even looking in that direction. 
people ask me all the time, again, this is only for the purpose of education, don't think I'm anything or anything. I'm, I just know my Yetzirah, so I try to protect myself. You want to learn Torah, you have to protect your eyes. Unfortunately, we've gotten to a point where today it's virtually impossible. It's virtually impossible to walk around the street without seeing people naked. It's impossible. Now, naked doesn't necessarily always mean always naked. Naked means that pretty much they're wearing underwear. That's naked. So you have two choices. One choice. Look on the floor all the time. This is difficult. It takes a little training, but it's not impossible. When I go to Israel, for the most part, that's what I do. In America, same thing. But it's tough to do it over an extended period of time simply because you just, you don't know where you're going, how you're doing, it makes, makes the whole trip miserable. So there's a second solution. Don't leave the house. That's the solution. That's it. Don't leave the house. So people ask me all the time, oh, how's Boca? How's Boca? You're like, you know, anytime I go to New Shior, they tell oh yeah, you live in Boca Raton. I'm like, yeah. Like, how is it? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? How long you live there? Three years. So how is it? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't go anywhere. The biggest trip that I go is my Shure Torah. That's it. Other than that, once, I don't know, a month, two months, my wife has to send me to uh, the Winn-Dixie or Publix to get some groceries because she can't do it or somebody else can't do it, then I have to go. Other than that, I don't leave the house. Why? I don't want to look. That's, that is the way. How's Boca? I have no idea. How is the next neighborhood going to be that I'm going to move to? I don't know. And I won't know, Bezat Hashem. Why? It's the only way. It's the only way. It's the only way. I know that looking on the floor, I could do it. But over an extended period of time, it becomes miserable. I'd rather just go sit, study, do my thing, and, you know, go to a lecture. That's it. What, what, what do I need to go outside for? I'm not going to malls. What's the ideal situation? Stay in the house. Go give lecture. Go back home. Go give lecture. Go back home. Who do I need to look at? My wife, my kids. The beginning, middle, end. That's it. Finished. That's how you protect your eyes. The other option is look on the floor all day. Problem is, many guys don't want to stay home, obviously. They want to see the world and whatever. Fine, I don't blame you. You want to see the world? Do it at your own risk. The problem is, that along the way of seeing the world, you're also going to see a bunch of people. And if you want to inherit Torah, you can't see it. You can't look at women that are half naked and think it's okay. It's not okay. Why? That damages your neshama. Every time you see an immodest woman, it damages your neshama. Now one of the questions that we asked is the significance of a sin. Now we saw in the beginning, we used an analogy. Little boy, you ask him, how big is the star? How big is the sun? He says it's a quarter. You as an adult know it's not a quarter. It's not even a ball. It's thousands and thousands of times larger than the size of earth. And really, no human being can comprehend the true size of earth because we're still human. We can see it in pictures. We can see it on a screen. But to comprehend the size of just the ocean, to comprehend just the size of your city, it's impossible for a human being because it's so much bigger than you. So to comprehend a sun that's 
90 million miles away, it's impossible. That's our sin. When you ask yourself how big your sin is, that's your sin. A guy looks at a girl that's half naked, that's not his wife, that's not appropriate, that's the sin. That's the significance of the sin. And Chazal says, the biggest genome of a person, the biggest genome, the genome that there's no size for, there's no measurement for it, is when a, is when a person shows up to the Bet Din of Shamaim and he discovers the size of his sin. Forget about the fire, forget all that stuff. The embarrassment, the shame that he has at that moment that he discovers the size of his sin versus what he thought when he was still in flesh and blood, the shame and embarrassment that he has, no Gehenom can withstand it. Because his whole life he thought it was a quarter. Maybe a ball. It was beyond his comprehension to think it's a son. Without Torah, you can never arrive at that. With Torah, you have a chance. So when you're talking about significance of sin, only Torah is going to give you that. Now, as far as suffering, different levels of suffering, different types of sins, when a person connects to Hashem Barach, Hashem would want to give him gifts. Sometimes those gifts is suffering. How do you know whether you're close to Hashem in the truth or not? When you eventually arrive at a point where you start seeing that even your suffering is good for you. Now Ben Zoma says, Who's rich? Someone that is happy with his share. Now already by now we've confirmed that none of this stuff is what we naturally think it is. So if strength and wisdom are not what we thought they are, then obviously the wealth isn't either. So Ben Zuma says this one's an easy one. All you have to do in order to be considered rich is be happy with your share. And fulfill the mitzvah in the Shulchan Aruch of celebrating and thanking Hashem just as much for the rod as you do for the staff. Celebrating and thanking Hashem just as much for the blessings as you do the curse. And vice versa. Now, don't worry. You're not the first one that says, Are you serious? In your mind, myself included, when I heard this, and I'm still hearing it, and I'm saying it, I'm saying, are you serious? You really have, I mean, okay, saying I know it's for the good, 
I know everything is for the good. That's one level already. Baruch Hashem, at certain points of our life, we write, I remember, one of these times I had a really, really difficult time, I knew that, Baruch Hashem, these surgeries were for the good. Saying it's for the good, is one thing. That's already huge. I'm not going to give you the full details, but imagine, I don't know, a surgery. Very painful. Imagine a surgery with no anesthesia. Even more painful. Imagine a surgery with no anesthesia, and you have to give it to yourself. So, at some point, we can get to a point of saying, you know what, even this horrible, horrific pain is for the good. That's a level. That's amazing. That's wow. Right? On the other hand, to say, forget this is for the good. Forget about it being the good. Thank God it happened. Baruch Hashem, it happened like you just won the lotto. That's a different, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's, that's beyond comprehension. That's like the sun. Thank God it happened. Thank God his craziness happened. This pain happened. That pain happened. This loss. Thank God it happened. To most people, this is as far as the sun. But this is Alakha in Shulchan Aruch. This is in the Gemara, Masechet Brachot. We have to find a way to get there. Several students of Rabbi Elimelech of Lechensk came to him and said, Kvod Arav, this is in a generation of saints. This is a generation of Kodesh Kodeshim. This is a generation of people that you would be certain one of them is Mashiach, if not all of them. The students of Rabbi Elimelech come to him and they say, Kvod Arav, this Alakha you have here in the Shulchan Aruch, being happy for the curse, thanking Hashem for the curse, how do we do it? How do we do it? Kodarav teaches, how do you do it? He says, you know, I can't really teach you this mitzvah. My brother can teach you. Go to my brother, Rabbi Zusha. Rabbi Zusha of Napoli. Go to him, he'll teach you this mitzvah. Where does he live? He goes several days that way, several days this way. You're going to get to him. Said Zealous young students. Want to go find out how to fulfill this mitzvah? Go to see one of the G'dolei Ador. Great! They finally arrive, but they see, instead of seeing a castle for G'dolei Ador, or at least a normal house, they see a broken house, a shack with holes in it. They knock on the door, the door almost falls. The door opens, they see Rabbi... Zusha, singing with his children, who all look like they haven't even eaten bread. Forget meat, or chicken, or eggs. Bread they haven't eaten in days. Bread. He has Torah in front of him, and he's singing and learning and celebrating with his family. Holes in his clothes. The kids look like they haven't eaten in days. He looks like he probably hasn't eaten in his life. And he is as happy as can possibly be 
There are holes in the ceilings, holes in the floor. I mean, this looks like a homeless a homeless shelter, a homeless suitcase that someone lives in looks better than this house. For Gdolador, they look at it, they think they're in the wrong place. There's no way this is Gdolador. But they say it's the only house. It's not like there's co- apartment complexes. So they say, Bizusha. He looks at oh, Bochim Abayim. He starts celebrating with them. Bochim Abayim, how are you? How are you? How are you? Celebrating with these people. We're at the right place, I guess. Bizusha, we came here because we need to learn something from you. We have a question. Oh, sure, Bo Hashem, Torah, Torah, Bo Hashem, yes. What question do you have for my son? What question do you have? Rabbi Zusha, we want to know how do we fulfill the halacha, the mitzvah, the commandment of thanking, celebrating Hashem's name for the suffering, for the hardship, as much as we do for the blessing. At this moment, the students see Rabbi Zusha's face stand still and become very serious. And he looks at them. And he says, who sent you here to ask me such a question? And they say, well, your brother, Rabbi Elimelech. Rabbi Zusha says, I'm surprised. I'm very surprised that my brother made such a mistake and sent you here to ask me such a question. I wouldn't know an answer. I've never had any suffering. I've never had any pain. How would I know how to do it? Do you understand? That's the sun. Distant, far away. All of us can get there. All of us can get there in our own way. It's attainable. It's possible. Rabbi Zusha with the holes in the ceilings and the holes in the floor and the kids that don't have food and the suffering, he went to the exile. There's no end to the suffering he had in his life. He just didn't view it that way. It's a complete perspective transformation. When you're glued there is no such thing as being unglued. The Gemara says it's virtually impossible for someone that's glued to Hashem to ever leave him. So they ask, so how is it possible that Elisha ben Avuya or some of the other people that became Kofrim, how they leave? They knew Torah. Chazal says they were never connected to Hashem. Intellectual purposes, some of them were giants in Torah. But as far as true, pure connection, impossible. Why? Once you have it, you can't let go, even if you want it. One of the four people that saw what happens in Shemaim couldn't handle it. He died. Why? He says, I want to be there. I can't leave. Once he saw what happens in Shemaim, he said, I can't leave. He couldn't leave. He allowed himself to die. He could not leave. When Rabbi Zusha connected himself to Hashem Barach, suffering was no longer part of his life. It removed, he removed that word from the dictionary. 
And here he's, Ben Zomai is telling us, do you know how you can be? Eventually there'll be Zusha. Start with this. Whatever Hashem gives you, be happy with it. I'm not even just talking about saying thank you and sanctifying His name and celebrate. Just be happy with whatever you have. You have $100, be happy with 100 bucks. You made 50000 be happy with 50000 You made 100 be happy with 100 Because your natural inclination is always going to want double what you have. Gemara says you, want, you give him 100 he wants 200 You give him 400 he wants 800 And no one, Gemara Masechet Sukkah says, no one ever dies with even half of what their desires are. You've always won double what you have, and you're not even going to die with half of what you want. Why? Because the Yitzhara is in the driver's seat, controlling everything. So unless you start beating him up with an immense amount of Torah, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. You'll suffer forever. So he says if you actually start with just being happy with what you have, just the fact of you being happy, being happy, is not only going to give you a happy life here, he says that happiness with whatever Hashem gave you will give you merit to reach Olamaba. Imagine, it seems so simple. Hashem gave you something, say thank you. That's it. We're not saying Rabbi Zusha. Whatever he gave you, say thank you. He gave me twenty thousand, say thank you. He gave you fifty, say thank you. Say thank you. It's just common etiquette. Somebody opens the door for you, you thank them like they're Mashiach. Say thank you, Hashem, that gave you everything you have. Even if it's a problem. Even if it doesn't make sense. Just say thank you. Says that alone, Olam Abba. In the Gemara, Masechet Kiddushin, page 29a, it says that a father has numerous obligations to teach his son. One thing he has to teach his son is an obligation. We see in Kriyat Shema, Shema Yisrael, is to teach his son Torah. A father's obligation is to teach his son Torah. What happens if the father doesn't know Torah? He has to hire somebody that knows Torah. But in reality, it should be from the father. But if the father is not able... He has to pay for somebody to teach him Torah. It's one obligation that the law says, father has to his son. Second obligation, he must teach him some type of profession, some type of skill that he can use to make a living. Both of these two things, you don't really need the Torah for it. Education, skill set, what's so special about it? The third one is the tricky one. The third one, the Gemara, says is the father is obligated to teach his son swimming. Swimming. And Chidush, Baruch Hashem, with your merit, about this swimming part. Now most people look at it literally. It's good to know how to swim. 
especially in those times, they didn't exactly have uh, life jackets. And if you wanted to travel from city to city, there's only one way. There's no planes, no trains, boats. And the boats weren't exactly uh, the greatest boats in the world all the time. You're lucky if you survived. So it's good to know how to swim. But we know there's no way they meant this. Why do we know? Because Torah is eternal. The teachings of the sages are eternal. There's no way they told you learn swimming when you know today it's not even relevant. Why is it not even relevant to today? Because if you're righteous today, you're not even allowed to go swimming anymore. In 99% of the places. Why? Because there's naked people there. It's one of the mitzvot of die and not sin. It's better you die than go to the beach with the naked people there. It's better you die than go and hang out by the pool with a bunch of immodest women. Die. I'm not talking about don't go, it's not good, boob, you know, you get slapped on your head. It's the same level. There's three sins where it's better you die and not sin. One of them is idol worship. Somebody says, here's uh, J.C. Penny. Go worship him. Says, die and don't worship him. Die and don't bow to him. Die. They say, we're going to shoot you. No problem. Take the gun, shoot yourself. Merit. It's Kiddush Hashem. Second, murder. Not allowed to murder anyone for you to survive. They tell you, look, either you die or your friend dies. Die. Don't kill your friend. Not allowed to kill anybody. Third, Sex crimes. To go to a place full of immodesty, like the beach, the pools, the water parks, those places, it's areg ve'al yavo. Now I know this is shocking to some people, but this is a reality. This is reality. So for all of those people that are like halfway religious with the small little kippah, but they go to the beach the whole summer, you are violating one of the worst possible sins in the Torah. So obviously, this commandment, this law, this teachings from the sages of teaching the children to swim, it's not possible that it just means that. It could mean that, but something else also. What's the chidush? The chidush is that it has to do with this entire Mishnah. The chidush is that the swimming does not actually mean swimming. The chidush is, is that yes, you need to teach your, to- your son Torah. Yes, you need to teach your son some type of skill set. You need to teach your son Torah and a skill set so he can get to a point of having this wisdom we talked about. You need to teach your son Torah so you can actually develop his midot, develop his character traits, so he can actually be a gibor that overcomes his yetzerah. You can teach your son Torah and skill set, so he can be somebody. But without teaching him emunah, he's not going to survive. Without teaching him about a kadosh baruch Hu and where he is when it's dark, He's not going to survive life. That's swimming, my friend. That's swimming. Swimming is not to swim when it's coast clear and everything is fine. 
Swimming is when you're drowning and you're swallowing water because the death doesn't stop coming, the bills don't stop coming, the lawsuits don't stop coming, everyone hates you, it all looks like it's terrible, and you feel like you're drowning, and you don't know where God is. God's where the darkness is. That's what swimming is. That's what emunah is. Emunah is not when everything is wonderful and you just won $430 million. Emunah is when everything is dark and you can find God. That's swimming. That's what the father is obligated to teach his son. He has to teach his son to survive the turmoil that he's going to experience in his life. Because regardless of who he is, he could be Joey or he could be Moshe Rabbeinu. He could be Steve or he could be Avram Avinu. You are going to suffer in your life. It's just going to happen. Why? Because that's what makes you a diamond. That's what makes a diamond a diamond. When you first find a diamond, it's an ugly looking rock. It's hideous looking. What makes it beautiful? When you cut it and you break it and you cut it and you put the laser and you smash it and you cut it and you kick the hell out of it eventually becomes a diamond. What made Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu? The non-stop suffering he had. What made Avram Avinu Avram Avinu? At least 10 tests that he got from Hashem Yitbarach that Chazal, only, their, their only machloket is which are the 10. Why is there machloket which are the 10? Because there was more than 10. There was simply more than 10. Right after he went to sacrifice his son to Hashem Barach, he passed the test. Hashem says, don't touch him. Now I know you fear me. You figure, ah, this is a 10 test. I finished. I'm done. Avram Avinu, Kodesh Kodeshim. Hashem vouched, signed off on me. I fear Hashem. I have Yirat Shamayim. Who's greater than you? He comes home, Sarai Menu's dead. Did you ever see a pasuk in the Torah of Abraham Avinu complaining to God, why did you kill my wife? I passed the test, test number 10. Why did you kill my wife? Why? Why did you let the Satan kill her? Why? You ever see Abraham Avinu complain to Hashem, hey Hashem, dear Hashem, why? Ask a question, why did you do it? Give me, give me, give me, give me a pasuk, give me a chacha, give me something. No, why? Abraham Avinu knew Everything is the will of Hashem, even if it doesn't make sense. Because Avraham Avinu knew how to swim. Avraham Avinu knew how to swim, and that's what he taught Yitzchak Avinu. And that's what Yitzchak Avinu taught Yaakov. And that's why Yaakov was able to su- survive. Survive against Esav. It doesn't get worse than Esav. Esav is someone that Hashem Ibar writes in the Torah, it, Esav Saneti, I hated Esav, Hashem, Hashem created him, he says, I hated Esav, Esav, I hate him, every day he said, I'm going to do tshuva, he never did tshuva, he knew all the truth, he never did tshuva, him, I hate him, I hate Esav. And when Yaakov Avinu comes back home to Abba and Ima, he doesn't see him over 20 years, he wants to see, and he says, oh, Esav's going to come, what did he say to Hashem, Hashem, Save me, save me from the hand of my brother. Save me from the hand of Esav. Despite knowing the Torah, 
the Kedusha, all the amazing things. Yaakov knew that even to swim, even to swim, even to have Siyat Dishmaya, to survive, you need, you need Hashem's help. You need to swim, to survive, to have this emunah, the basic level emunah, or the emunah of Avraham Avinu. You need the help of Hashem. How do you get to the help of Hashem? You start with the beginning. You go to page one. Ben Zoma Omer Ezehu Chacham. Who's wise? Torah. Okay, I'm going to learn Torah. Who's a Gibor? Yetzirah. I'm going to start fighting my Yetzirah. Who's Sameach? Oh, so I'm going to start. One, two, three. But you don't go to from A to Z. A, B, C, Aleph, Bed, Gimel. One after another. We don't skip to loving Hashem. It's not possible. Whoever is teaching that is lying to you. And last but not least, Ezehu Mechubad, HaMechabed Tabriyot, Ki Mechabdai Echabed Ubozi Kalu. Ben Zoma says, Who's honored? Who's honored? Hashem says, Someone who honors me. Someone who honors my children. And in Mitzvah, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When you love God, you love the Shem, your God. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, it says, And you loved your brother as you love yourself. I am God. The gematria value, the numerical value, which we learned a little bit about it yesterday, of both of those sentences is 493. Loving God and loving your brother, your fellow Jew, has the same exact numerical value, giving us the hint that to Hashem Barach, if you love one, you must love the other. If you hate Am Yisrael, you hate God. If you hate God, you hate Am Yisrael. If you're anti-Semitic, you hate God too. You can't hate Am Yisrael and love God. You can't love God if you hate Am Yisrael. One goes with the other. But how do we know we love God? How do we know we have a chance? A chance of loving God. Rabbi Simcha Mikelem said, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of everything? We said in the beginning of the shiur, purpose of life is to sanctify Hashem Yitbarach's name. Live your life with a constant strategy of how I'm going to sanctify Hashem Yitbarach's name. What am I going to do today to honor His name, to make Him my King? Every day we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Every day we say, Bless you Hashem, King of the world. King of the world, but not me. King of the world, but everybody else. He says it, Rabbi Simchami Kelim says, it starts with you. Make him the king of you. He's watching you. He's looking at you. You, not him. Forget about him. You. Starts with you. Who you see in the mirror, that's who it starts with. Make him king of you. Because if everybody said, he's the king of everybody else except me, he's the king of no one. He says, first starts with you. The tshuva starts at home. It starts inside. Sanctify Hashem's name on a daily basis. The silliest thing we can do is sanctify Hashem's name 
everywhere else except at home. Everyone else has to do tshuva, but I'm still working on Shabbat. Everyone else has to do tarat mishpacha, but I still like to look at girls. Everyone else has to eat kosher, but I still like to eat salad at Subway. You're a cheat. You're a liar. And when the time comes and Hashem gives you a test, you're going to fail. Because you don't even have the basic level of emunah or ira or ava or anything. It's all a show. But to summarize it all, how do we know we got here? Torah, Baruch Hashem. We learned yesterday, we're learning today. You want Torah? Get used to Mesirut Nefesh. Get used to sacrificing your life, your time, your sleep, your sanity, your everything. Get used to making yourself uncomfortable if you want Torah. You don't want Torah, you're not going to have a point to life. You'll be just like the zebra. You and the sheep, same thing. Only difference is, they don't get punished. You want Torah, get used to getting uncomfortable. Eventually, you'll enjoy it. But in the beginning, it's uncomfortable. You want to survive the first level of Torah? Start picking fights with the Yetzirah. Instead of picking fight with your wife, instead of picking fights with your husband, instead of picking fights with the neighbor or with your kids, start picking fights with the Yetzirah. Yetzirah wants you to stay asleep, wake up Dafka. Yetzirah wants you to finish half a page, finish the whole page, Dafka. Yetzirah wants you to yell, Dafka don't yell. Whatever the Yetzirah wants you to do, do the opposite. Why? Because you know it's right. Get used to fighting the Yetzirah, and if it's hard, you're in the right direction. You can be considered a gibor for that moment that you beat the Yetzirah. After you start beating the Yetzirah, you're going to get some bigger test. Your test will be upgraded. You're going to see your friend get a raise, but you didn't. You're going to see the financials go down, and you're still supposed to keep a smile because an upside-down smile doesn't look so good. You're going to have rent coming, or mortgage coming, or not money in the bank. But Hashem says you still have to be Sameach. You still have to be happy. You still have to look like that honorable person at the end of the Mishnah. How? How do I survive? How do I survive all of this? He says, "Get le- learn. Learn how to swim. Learn how to swim so eventually you can say, Shiftecha o Mishantecha Your rod... And your staff, that's, that's what gives me my salvation. This is what gives me my salvation. Why? Because God, I know you're my shepherd. You want for me. You're my shepherd. A shepherd is not going to deliver me to the slaughterhouse. A shepherd is not going to deliver me off the mountain. A shepherd is going to deliver me to a place that's good for me, to my safety. Moshe Rabbeinu chased the sheep. And when he finally found them, he carried them on his back 
all the way back home because Chas Vishalom, he ran extra because of me because I didn't feed him. I didn't give him enough food. I didn't give him enough drink. It's my fault, Moshe Rabbeinu says. Hashem says, you worry so much about my sheep, I want, to want, you, I want you to lead my people too. So if Moshe Rabbeinu, which still at the end of it all is the prophet of all prophets, but still flesh and blood, imagine Hashem Barach, David HaMelech, David HaMelech Kodesh Kodeshim is telling you, God is my shepherd, God is your shepherd. So even if he's hitting you with the rod, he's not hitting you to hit you, he's hitting you to direct you. The rod is really the staff. You just got to look at it the right way. But you're never going to be able to look at it that way. You're never going to be able to look at it that way if you don't go with ABC, if you don't start with Torah, if you don't start with working on your Yetzirah, if you don't start becoming happy with stuff that doesn't make sense, Bichlal. You're never going to survive the battle if you don't start with the Torah because everything else is secular garbage. Everything else is not applicable to life. It may be applicable to your career. You may be an architect. You may be a lawyer. You may be a mathematician. But when life punches you in the face, you're not going to survive. You're not going to survive without Hashem Barach. David Melech is telling you the tough, the difficulty, the hardship, that's God. That's God. If you identified it, that means you follow the steps. You follow the steps. If you celebrate it, that means you've made those steps part of you. You made them. You, didn't just, you don't just know them theoretically. You don't just know them theoretically like, maybe this sounds good. This may be. No, no. This became part of you. When you take the needle, you start stabbing yourself, you rip your skin apart, there's enough blood like you just butchered somebody, and you're saying, Baruch Hashem, this is good for me, you got somewhere. Maybe you got started. Maybe you have 1% emunah, Bezat Hashem. Yes, it hurts, but maybe you got somewhere. That's an achievement in life. Without it, with all the architecture and all the law and all the real estate and all the stock market and all the books you could write that all these different people with self-help books give you, it's worth nothing. Nothing. Because when push comes to shove, you can't become one with secular knowledge. You can't become one. So anyone that teaches you otherwise is either lying to you or just doesn't know what suffering is yet. Any questions? Bauch Adonai Leolam, Amen ve Amen.